Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat eat all the leftover leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel up up the hill and then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corinne Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Sheep Pivots listeners. I'm so excited to share with you that we've been nominated for the second year in a row for Signal Awards Listener's Choice for Most Inspirational Episode for this season's episode with Ukrainian refugee Tetiana Podol. But in order to win, we need your vote. To vote for our episode, visit the link in our Instagram bio at She Pivots the Podcast or search for She Pivots when you go to vote.signalaward.com. Tetiana's story is truly incredible. As a Ukrainian refugee, she's dedicated herself to volunteering in the war. And her story starts long before she was even born, as she recalls the experiences of her grandparents in a post-Soviet Ukraine. She carries us through an emotional retelling of how she went back to her home country just weeks after the war started to care for her family and eventually leading a grassroots effort to transport supplies to her father's unit on the front lines. It is truly an amazing episode, so please vote and share it with your friends. Welcome to She Pivots 
the podcast where we talk with women who dared to pivot out of one career and into something new and explore how their personal lives impacted these decisions. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman Today, I'm thrilled to be sharing our live She Pivots recording we did this summer with the phenomenal Bobby Brown. You know that Bobby Brown. In full transparency, Bobby has been a longtime dream guest of mine. Okay, I know I say that a lot, but her pivots always fascinated me. From building a massive beauty empire to recently founding Jones Road Beauty, I wanted to know if the pivot into something smaller felt more fulfilling. So a quick refresh before we hop into the episode. Bobby founded and built the now household beauty brand Bobby Brown in the 90s and sold it to Estee Lauder shortly after and signed the infamous non-compete clause that prevented her from starting another beauty brand for 25 years. So she stayed on with the company for over 20 years and built it into a billion-dollar brand. Then, almost 25 years to the day after she signed her non-compete, she launched her own brand again, Jones Road Beauty. She also started a handful of other ventures over the years, like JustBobby.com, a digital editorial content site, The George, a 31-room boutique hotel in Montclair, and two podcasts, The Important Things and Beyond the Beauty. I want to take a moment to say thank you to The Church, our local center for the arts, creativity, and community for hosting us. This was truly the perfect backdrop for a She Pivots live recording. Let's jump right in. My name is Sherry Pasquarella. I am the executive director of The Church. On behalf of myself and our lovely board and all of our team, we'd like to welcome you warmly here today. I was thinking a lot about the ways in which she pivots and the idea of empowered and empowering women connects with the spirit of creativity, which is what we do here. And I think Emily and Bobby embody the notion of a contemporary creative woman, somebody who's able to define on their own terms how their voice and vision can exist in the world. I'm very pleased to introduce you guys all to the lovely and awesome Emily Tish Sussman. Thank you so much for joining this live podcast of She Pivots. I was just chatting with Bobby in the back before. We've only done a handful of them. So we've done, we've interviewed live on stage, uh, Stacey London from What Not to Wear, Robin Arzon from Peloton, we launched her book, and Vice President Kamala Harris. And today, Bobby Brown. So I spent about 15 years as a political strategist working in Washington on federal policy. And then I had three kids in three and a half years and went into a global pandemic. And you know what you can't do with three kids in three and a half years in a global pandemic? Anything at all. (laughs) And you definitely can't work on an upcoming presidential campaign, which will determine basically the next wave of, of your political future. So I saw my career falling apart before me and it was out of my control. So when Sherry and I were chatting about what we could potentially do together, she's so generous and said, well, who were your dream guests? Maybe we can try to get them. The next thing I said is that I've actually always wanted to interview Bobby Brown because she exemplifies for me this idea that you can have a vision of success of what looks like success, having a big business, 
and I'm going to assume a little bit here, but maybe finding a different kind of happiness, potentially more in changing your version of success with the business that she has now and so many other ventures. So the church as a cultural center is the perfect place to have this conversation. I'm a full-time resident here. Bobby is also a part-time resident here. This is the first place that we have found community. This is the place that we have chosen to raise our family. So it also feels a lot of pressure that we're actually in our own community here. We were just chatting about that before. But so I'm so excited to bring up the incredible Bobby Brown. Bobby, your resume is long, extensive. We'll get to some great highlights. But we just start every interview. What is your name and what do you do? My name is Bobby Brown. It's always a weird thing. I'm a makeup artist. That's what I think of myself. I'm a makeup artist. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a wife. I am a mother. And I am a grandmother. So let's go back. Let's start from the beginning. We're going to do a little chronological here, then we're going to get more interesting. But I want to start back to when you were a teenager and you decided to go, well, you didn't know that you were going into makeup, but you loved it. What was it about makeup that drew you in? You know, it was I was had gone to two colleges, didn't like either of them, told my mom I wanted to drop out. I thought it was really boring. It was really boring. It wasn't interesting. (laughs) And she said, you can't, you have to go to school. And I said, but I don't know what I want to do. She said, forget what you want to do for a living. If today's your birthday, you could do anything. What would you want to do? I could have said, go to Paris. I could have said, you know, eat brownies. I said, I want to go to Marshall Fields and play with makeup. She said, why don't you be a makeup artist? And I said, all right, I'll find a college that will allow me to do makeup. And I found Emerson. They didn't have makeup, but they had a degree called an interdisciplinary degree where you could make your own major. I still don't know what interdisciplinary (laughs) means, but I made up my major and I I learned how to be an entrepreneur. Well, you have said that when you were when you were younger, when you were a teenager, that you thought you would always be a teacher and a mother. Do you feel like you continuously kept coming back to that throughout your career or do you feel like you went on different paths? I have been a teacher and a mother, and so I have accomplished that. And, you know, and I also have accomplished way more than I ever dreamed or thought possible. I mean, never in a million years would I have thought that I'd have experienced and accomplished what I have. And if there was a crystal ball that said, this is going to be your life, I would have said, no, thank you. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah, it's a lot. I, I, I love it. But, you know, my what really defines me is not work and success, even though it's amazing what I've been able to accomplish. But it's being a wife, a mother and a friend like my dear friends are here. And like, honestly, like that makes me choke up because that's what matters. What did you think your life was going to look like? You say, you know, you weren't really sure. But what did you think it was going to look like? I mean, I thought I would live in the suburbs and marry a Jewish guy. I did both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought I would, I don't know, work in a, I don't know, department store. I don't know. I never, I I don't think about things before I do it. I know that Mm -hmm. sounds really weird. I'm just like, oh, that sounds interesting. That looks interesting. And I just dive in. And dive in she did. It was the 90s, and Bobby saw a gap in the makeup industry and decided to fill it by going against the mainstream trends and releasing a makeup brand with neutral tones. It took off and became the household name for accessible and natural makeup. What did success look like to you at that point? Like, What were you trying to get to? Well, I was trying to be able to pay my $400 rent. 
That was by far the number one thing, seriously. And, yeah. you know, my father, for graduation from college, gave me my rent for a year. And I'll never forget, I called him up, and he gave me a credit card. He said, you have $250 to spend on this credit card. And I said, okay, and I could never, ever do it. And then I kept getting, like, I kept owing money. And so the interest built up, and I called my dad. I said, Dad, I cannot figure out how to, like, figure out how to save money, how to pay this off. He said, stop. Just go find a way to make more money. I said, okay. And I hung up the phone, and I put an ad in the Village Voice. Someone called me to do makeup. It was a guy. It's another story, I'll say, for another time. <laughs> Remind me later. It was quite something. You did an interview on one of your podcasts with Mickey Drexler from the fashion industry. And you talked in that interview a lot about work ethic and asking where you thought his came from. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to flip that question to you. What do you think your work ethic looks like and where do you think it came from? Well, being from Chicago, yay, everybody, like we're, you know, we're Midwestern people. Like we're, we're solid people. I watched my grandparents work. I watched my parents work. Everybody worked hard to get where they were. And I watched Papa Sam build all his businesses, not realizing I was learning. Honestly, most of the things I learned about, now I know it's called marketing and PR. Yeah. I learned from watching Papa Sam, how he treated people. What were their businesses? I mean, his last business was a car salesman. He was known as Cadillac Sam in Chicago, and he was on the side of buildings, and, you know, he had a lot of famous people. He was 5'2", I think. I don't think he was 5'5", five five, Papa Sam. And, you know, he sold cars to Al Capone and Meyer Lansky and, you know. And the best story Papa Sam ever told me is one day he was in his car dealership and some guy walked in with an overcoat and two bags. He looked like he was a homeless guy. No one would go wait on this guy. So Papa went over and said, hey, Doc, how are you doing? And the guy said, I want to buy a car. And Papa said, all right, let me show you. The guy had bags of cash and bought a car just like that. <laughs> and so you never know what someone, you know, what their background is until you really, you know, give someone the time. I mean, honestly, some of the most successful people, you would never know they were that successful. And, you know, look, I was the one that would walk around Barney's with a backpack and I'd be followed. And I'm like, OK, I'm wearing sneakers and or clogs or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to steal anything, guys. So and now that look would be very chic. It would now it's finally back. Yes. <laughs> fan, fanny packs and backpacks and clogs. You know, I'm happy. You led the way. I'm telling you. You definitely did. So you started Bobby Brown Cosmetics because you were mixing your own on set. You found a partner. The beginning of that partnership. How, even though you started with the partner, how did you decide to launch the line under your name? Well, I didn't really decide to launch the line under my name. So I met a chemist and um, I asked him what he did. And it was at Keel's Pharmacy. And he told me he makes lipsticks on the side. I said, I've always wanted to make a lipstick that wasn't dry, wasn't greasy, didn't smell, and just looked like lips. He's like, I could do it for you. So he did. And I, after sending it back a couple times with changes, we had a deal that we would sell it and he would get $750. I would get $750. I would have to sell it. You know, he would give it to me. And I thought it was the greatest thing. I thought everyone's going to love this lipstick. Then I realized everyone has different color lips, number one. <laughs> and some people like red, some like pink. So I thought of 10 colors. He said, okay, great. He would send me makeup, you know, the lipsticks. I would sell it. My husband would run it to the store to mail it. And then it got really popular. We had to get my sister-in-law in to do the books because I don't know how to do that stuff. And, and then we had a business. And then 
it got serious and uh, we got into Bergdorf, not because I pitched Bergdorf, because we were invited to a party at someone's house and I asked her what she did and she was a cosmetics buyer at Bergdorf. And that's how we launched Bergdorf Goodman. <laughs> and then we had to get a real lab. The 750, 750 in business didn't really work. It didn't really work out anymore. So at that point, did you decide this is my business? I'm going out with it, and he didn't fit into it anymore. Like I, I am very interested in the idea in kind of coming back to this question about putting yourself on the brand because right now people defining themselves as brands is the name of the game. Like that's well, the big. We didn't, I didn't know what a brand was. To me, a brand was Kleenex. Okay, I mean it's <laughs> like that's a brand. Like all of a sudden I'm a brand. But no, I mean I remember at the time learning that it, you can't. This is not a normal business model, and this guy couldn't really understand that. So. One day in an elevator, I smiled at someone and I said, what do you do? And she said, oh, I work at a cosmetics lab. I said, oh, I need someone. Do you have a card? And a uh, man of cosmetics in Long Island City, and they made all the lipsticks. And that is the truth. Met him in an elevator. So the fact that you did launch it under your own line, you said, now this is my business. How did your version of success, what was your version of success at that point? I paid the rent. <laughs> um, you know, my husband and I, like, look, I started this business not by myself. I couldn't have done it without him. He's sitting here, and I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm really smart, and this is why I'm smart. I make sure I have someone around me that knows what I don't. And so, you know, besides, you know, he's just the smartest guy I know, he's also, he always encouraged me and supported me and would tell me things like, don't worry, we can do this don't worry, we got this, you know, where I come home and be like, oh, she's doing this. Okay, calm down. We're not going to talk about this at 10 o'clock at night. Okay, calm down. You'll be better in the morning. It's always important to have a partner. So we really, we did it. We've done everything together. I think a key piece, whether someone's launching a business, making a change, even staying the course is really who their personal kitchen cabinet is. Has yours stayed the same or has it changed? Oh, it's completely changed. <laughs> completely changed. I mean, I, you know, in this new brand, I don't have anyone from the old country. <laughs> <laughs> but so you sold pretty quickly. We sold, I guess, four and a half years after we launched. Yeah. Yeah. Wow well, is right. We were 32 years old, 34 years old. Again, I'm not good with numbers. I guess 34. But we had two kids only yeah. at the time. And um, yeah, we sold. Now I feel like there's so much, like a big decision to go from founder to collaborator to what kind, to what kind of investors you bring in. What was the decision for you? Well, there wasn't those words back then. Yeah. Um, the decision was Leonard Lauder called. And anyone that knows Leonard in this room, he's the most wonderful human being. And when he called and said, you're beating us in the stores because we were beating Estee Lauder in the department stores... He said, we can't beat you anymore, so we want to buy you. And, you know, there was some issues with partners that we had that we were not getting along with that was, you know, a little rough. And my husband and I, you know, we, it was more money than we could have imagined. And we said, yes, you know. And honestly, when Leonard said, I know, I know that, you know, you're so amazing at what you do, but I know you don't want to spend your life doing the things you don't want to do? What if I promised you that you could do what you love and what you're good at? And I trusted him. I want to hop in here to provide a little context. At this point, it was 1995 and the language around business acquisition and non-compete clauses was new to Bobby and quite honestly, not part of the mainstream conversation as it is today. 
So did that feel like your version of success at that point that you could focus on the part you liked and not the part you didn't? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. And, you know, and to be able to do things that you could not have imagined, you know, I mean, we sent our nieces and nephews to college and a few other people. So you got to do things that, you know, that matter. Mm -hmm. What was the core piece of the business that you really wanted to maintain for yourself? And what areas were you able to grow in because of this partnership? Well, I'm certainly... I'm happy to never do HR, to never do finance, to never do operations and, you know, getting one thing to another place and where it goes. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I just, I just like everything else. I like the product. I like the marketing. I like the, me the messaging, the creative part of it. I care about those other things and I want to know about them, but I want someone else to deal with them. When you were entering that partnership, you ended up staying with the company. 22 years. Yeah. That is really yeah. unheard of. Yeah. When that's what I hear. That's <laughs> what I hear. It's a long time. Yeah. At the time when you entered into the partnership, did you think that you would say, okay, great, this is it. I'll just stay with this forever. Or did no. you think, what did you think? No, I don't remember how long our first contract was, how many years, but four, three, three years. So, and we kept signing three years, two years. And I just, I didn't know. And, you know, Steve would always ask me, are you ready? And honestly, I went to work every day thinking I own the company. And I realized at the very end, I didn't because things changed for them, too. Yeah. I think the better known parts of, of your story in this was the non-compete right. and we, how long it was. Yes. We, my husband, I'll never forget, he called and he said, all right, we have a deal. He said, there's only one thing. They want you to sign a 25-year non-compete. Okay, I counted on my fingers at the time because I was, I thought I was 32. I looked 32, but I was 35. I said, <laughs> I'm not going to want to work when I'm in my 60s. Who cares? Let them have it. <laughs> so we signed, and I didn't think I would want to work in my 60s. And I launched this new brand at 62. Is that the right age? You could do the math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jones Road launched the month her non compete ended. One had to wonder if she had been waiting for this moment. Was there something specific that where you said, okay, I'm done? Because I do think this is, you know, like your big pivot. Like, was there something that said that I'm done here? Or it seemed like maybe it coincided with the end of the, no, the non-compete. No, no. I, when I left, I had four and a half years left on the non-compete, oh, wow. which I bought a charm with an ampersand on it with the date 10.20 when my non-compete would, it was a really long four and a half years, let me tell you. <laughs> um, but, but I, you know, that's kind of kept me going. So, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I stayed because I cared and it was time to leave probably for four years before I left and I didn't leave because yeah. I'm someone that thinks I could make things better. I could fix things. I know exactly mm. what to do, but I guess I wasn't really able to do what I thought I would do. Mm. So it really took my aunt Alice, who I believe was 90 at the time, maybe 88. <laughs> She's 91 now. And she said, stop. All I do is hear you complain about things that are broken. I think you can't fix it. I'm like, Aunt Alice, you're right. So it took yeah. her to kind of say it's time. I was yeah. 59 point something years old when I left the brand and my kids were out of the house. You know, I think it's when Duke went to, you know, college. Okay. But that's what I remember. I, like we had foreign exchange students. We had nephews. We had, and all of a sudden everyone was gone and I wasn't working. Oh my God, can you imagine what that was like where you wake up in the morning and you're like, 
And, and I wasn't at liberty to really talk about things until we had a, you know, an exit agreement. So it was a couple tough months. And if it wasn't for my friends who are sitting here that came over with tequila, you know, the first couple days, it was, it was an interesting time. You defined yourself at the beginning as an entrepreneur. Mm. This is not your only venture. Mm. <laughs> not by a long yeah. shot. And I think when I lived in corporate America, I became an intrapreneur because I, you know, I started a blog. I went to work at Yahoo to start a magazine. I just, I need things to keep busy. And, you know, you know, when you're on Instagram and you get to write like what you're feeling, sometimes I say I'm bored. Now <laughs> I'm, I'm so busy, but I get bored. I'm just bored. So is that how you thought of all these different ventures? Like, does it come quickly and then you run after it? Did you plan ahead? Like, how did you think? No, I just, things happen. Well, you know, when I called Steven and said, I just, you know, I'm just, I left the company. He said, why don't we do a hotel? I'm like, <laughs> out of left field. Okay. I'm like, sounds like a good idea. Okay. And so the George Hotel was born. A fun and unique adventure that allowed Bobby to explore her husband, Stephen Plopker's world of real estate development. It was a project, and it was the first real development project that Stephen and I got to do together. We had no plan. We had no budget. We had no anything. It was, you know, driving to Home Goods to see what they had, going uh, like I'm like going on Wayfair, like figuring it out, going on Restoration Hardware Outlet, and we furnished this hotel like really throwing stuff in the back of a truck that Steven's guys would pick up and we'd figure out where it goes. And it was a really fun project. It has built up so much in Montclair. You are a pillar in that community in so many ways. And the hotel has become a community. I mean, sort of like the church, like a place where people can build, a place that is a part of, a yeah. part of the community. How much has that been a factor in your thinking about your time, your bandwidth and your identity? Well, I mean, Montclair is, we moved to Montclair before we had kids. I love Montclair. It's the closest, you know, cool place to live outside of New York City. We also have a photo uh, TV and event studio called 18 Label. And Stephen's got a soccer bubble there. So we have a pretty big footprint in Montclair. And we're, you know, I, some a bunch of our Montclair friends are here. A couple people left, <laughs> but, you know. We're still Montclair family. It's just, you know, it's a wonderful community. And I'm so, it's like, it's like being from Chicago. Seriously, <laughs> right? It's just really nice, down-to-earth, interesting, eclectic, mixed community. You even moved your business there. Yes, Jones Road is there. Why would I want to commute to New York City? <laughs> but, you know, I started working Mondays and Fridays from home when I was part of that big corporation. I didn't ask permission. It yeah. just made sense for me. And then I get to do things like drop my kids off at school, pick them up from school, go to the grocery store. I was the woman in the grocery store with a kid in my arms on the phone with an editor talking about how fabulous, you know, the new whatever it is. And, you know, buying groceries at the same time. Like I was going to say microtasking, multitasking. <laughs> There's nothing microtasking about me. Well, I feel like you were thinking and executing on the way that people think about work now, but you were doing it. 15 and 20 years ago. I'm telling, yes. And it just makes sense because I would always make sure that I exercised because it made me a better person. It gave me more energy, you know? So, yeah. and honestly, even like I've always been someone that really kind of underdresses for events. I'm kind of known as, you know, like I wore jeans to the White House with a blazer and nice jewelry. No one knew I was wearing jeans. And, you know, once Obama did say to me, nice kicks, you know, but... <laughs> 
When I think about going through new ventures and talking with women as they're thinking about them, I think the biggest value that I keep coming back to, I don't know if it's a value, but evaluation is what do I want to keep? Like, what am I driving towards and what can I get rid of? As you've gone through all these chapters, especially as you came through, you're out of corporate, you're going through your four and a half years of your non-compete, thinking about your new business. What were those values that you were driving towards? What do I want to keep and what do I want to get rid of? Well, it's easy to say what I got rid of. I got rid of corporate meetings that you prepare six or eight months and hire a lot of people to come in and give you their opinion. And then after the meeting, you realize it was a waste of time. I don't do that. You know, I got rid of fancy parties, you know, clicking our heels together or spending a lot of money and just started sending product to editors asking if they wanted it. So, you know, things changed, things shifted. It's so much easier and I get to do all the fun stuff, you know? So look, it's not all fun stuff. (laughs) There's plenty of aggravation and plenty of growing pains and, you know, but it's like, it's like night and day, but I'm so glad I had the first experience. Mm -hmm. It's like, going to, you know, grad school in makeup. Like I really got my master's in business at Estee Lauder. When you were thinking about what your next chapter was going to be, was it always beauty? Like, did it have to be beauty? Do you always come back to that? I did not think I was going to launch another makeup company. When I left, I really had no idea. So I did the hotel. I worked on 18 label doing the marketing and, and social. And then I had an opportunity to open a Just Bobby department at Lord & Taylor because I, I called my dear friend Richard. He owned Lord & Taylor. He said, we need traffic in the store. Do you want to do this? I said, all right. <laughs> so I called my neighbor, Lynette, who came and helped me. Now, she, you know, we still work together. She does all my PR. And we built a team, a creative team, and it was really fun. Did it for a year. And then we brought it in-house digitally, then just started adding. And then I, I really didn't think I was going to go back to beauty. But I kind of discovered this little teeny thing called Miracle Balm. And during the pandemic, I would call my girlfriends and I would give them a little bit. And then a week or two later, they'd say, I need more. Please, can I have more? So it kind of started Jones Road. It's like in Harry Potter, the wand chose you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, I'm like, wow, that worked. Okay. And then you do the next one. I'm like, okay, that worked. But, you know, the interesting thing about Jones Road is nothing is what you would think it should be. Hmm. It it just, it's different. I mean, our CMO, who honestly, when he joined us, we quadrupled our business. He is our second son, and he used to be a strength and conditioning coach and just learned all this masterful marketing, and he has done a great job. And his wife is now our head of brand. She was our head of social. Really? Interesting. That's for another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Working with family, but amazing. It could be there because you've had three podcasts so far. But one of the things that I loved listening to your episodes in a row, you had three different shows, three different podcasts. And I loved listening to the way you defined yourself at the beginning of each of them. In the first show, you said, I'm a makeup artist and I'm so many other things. Like you were saying, like, don't define me that way. Your second show is about beauty. You're like, all right, I'm a makeup artist. And then your third show, you're like, okay, I'm a makeup artist, but what are the important things? 
Yeah. I kind of loved seeing your evolution over the last five years. What do you think you've gotten out of them? Well, I don't like to do the same thing. Once I've done it, I want to do something differently. But I love people's stories because everyone has a story. Like not everyone, you meet someone and you think, oh, that's who they are. Everybody comes from something and everyone's got a story. And I find it really interesting. And the more you get to share these stories, the more other women and other people get to learn and say, ah, I never thought of that. Wow. I bet I could do that too. How are you defining success now with Jones Road? Like, is it world domination? Like I had defined for you before this thing that I wanted to interview you because you had world domination in beauty and now have a different brand. Do you see it that way? I don't need to even think about it that way. Been there, done that. I've gotten some of the most incredible awards. You know, it's amazing. And I keep thinking there's nothing else and something comes up. So, I mean, what is success for me? Honestly, success is is happiness, you know, and yes, I'm happy. I love what I'm doing. It's what I choose to do. I don't golf. I don't play tennis. I don't garden. I find work and business really interesting, especially if you could do it you know, in your way. And by the way, I don't work like eight to, to seven. Like I don't, I, I have a life. I, you know, I meet my friends. I, I have lunch with my family. I, you know, I call people. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm able to squish a lot of things in and have a life. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. That's success. So this has been so wonderful. I could ask you a hundred more questions, but Unfortunately for me, we do have to end. So I have one final question for you, which is what is something that along the way at the time you thought it was such a negative, a low, you thought I'm never going to get myself out of this. And now in retrospect, you look back and you realize that it really launched you. I mean, honestly, when I stopped working for Estee Lauder and Bobby Brown, I mean, that was a, it was a tough time. It was, it was a loss and it was, you know, I had a mourn this company that I built and, you know, it was hard, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't speak to anyone for a couple months and that was really hard. And I had to deal with myself, right? I was so busy with things and, you know, I had things on my calendar for years and all of a sudden I had nothing. And guess what? I had to deal with myself. So it was a hard time and, you know, there was sadness. And if I didn't have my Dr. Jeff chiropractor, that helps get, he, he helps get negative energy out of the body. Mm. Like I didn't go to a shrink because I didn't want to talk about my mother, or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Dr. Jeff really helped. So yeah. And, but honestly, if that didn't happen, could you imagine if I was still driving into the city to go into meetings? No, <laughs> no. Well, do you think you'll pivot again? I would surely think so. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm 66 and I don't know what I'm going to be doing when I'm 86 or 96, but I plan on always doing something interest, something interesting, whether I could do it and make money. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to the church for hosting us. Thank Thank you so much. Bobby still lives in Montclair, New Jersey, where Jones Road is headquartered. She doesn't seem to have any plans of slowing down and, in fact, opened another Jones Road brick-and-mortar store in the Hamptons this summer. To learn more about Bobby and Jones Road Beauty, you can find her on Instagram at JustBobbyBrown.com and on TikTok at JustBobbyBrown. Thanks for listening. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of She Pivots, where I talk with women about how their experiences and significant personal events led to their pivot and eventually their success. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at She Pivots the Podcast and leave a rating and comment if you enjoyed this episode to help others learn about it. A special thank you to our partner, Marie Claire, and the team that made this episode possible. Talk to you next week. She Pivots is hosted by me, Emily Tish Sussman, produced by Emily Edda Voloshik, with sound editing and mixing from Nina Pollock, and research and planning from Christine Dickison and Hannah Cousins. I endorse She Pivots. You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah. And we are so excited to have you hear the latest season of our nostalgia-themed podcast, How Did We Get Weird? Not only do you get to know me and my brother, you get to know the stories that made us the absolutely rad people we are today. Like you, Jonah, who's a music person and also a mental health counselor. And you, Vanessa, who is an actress, comedian, and I think you even wrote a children's book. Wow. I sure did. Check out our episodes where we've welcomed hilarious guests like our friend Andy Samberg. That's it. That's really it. And Queen Casey Wilson. I really went cart before the horse. I said, I think I have an opportunity to interview Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) As a high school student. Plus legendary sisters Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You would pull the bag out and then we would eat eat all the leftover leftover chocolate chips, which was a lot. Then you'd roll the barrel up up the hill and then one of us would get inside the barrel and they'd push you down. And we've also had an amazing guest like Mike the Miz, Jason Isbell, Carrie Brownstein and Corinne Tucker of Slater Kinney, and many more. And you do not want to miss out on our funny segments like Change.Dork. <laughs> Change.Dork. And congratulations, you played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Listen to our podcast, How Did We Get Weird, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.